I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leaders Edge. In this episode, I talk with Fred Turcott, Chief Financial and Administrative Officer of Haggerty, a global automotive enthusiast brand and classic car insurer. We discuss Haggerty's recent merger with SPAC Aldell Financial, where Haggerty plans to grow, and of course, the classic car market. Go for a drive and give it a listen. Well, Fred, thank you so much for um, taking the time with us. Very exciting news um, coming out of Haggerty. Just a few questions about the deal. Kind of want to hear about what your future plans are a little bit. You know, what we had in front of us was uh, an opportunity to bring forward a bit uh, a plan that we, we've always had, which is, you know, in three years, uh, you know, we would probably look to the equity markets as a means by which we could grow uh, or continue our growth. Uh, we also look to the equity markets as a means by which uh, we could uh, attract talent, uh, a, a level talent, uh, our currency, use of currency uh, in a ability to use uh, stock or options on stock is, is a, in a very attractive um, uh, draw for uh, many uh, the, of those involved in what I'll call the IT area, right? The, the digital area. Many, uh, many talented people come from organizations where that was a currency in addition to cash. And it gives us an opportunity to, to use that as a means by which uh, we, we attract, uh, manage and retain talent. So uh, that was one reason. Um, we have been preparing for uh, this kind of a transaction for many, many years in terms of governance. Uh, our, we have a full board. We've had a board for a dozen years, independent board. Uh, we have uh, put in place uh, many of the steps you need to have in place from an internal controls perspective. We have our own enterprise risk management team. We have, uh, I'll call it, uh, you know, sort of great monitoring systems. Uh, and, and so financially, uh, we were readying ourselves and, and from a governance per- perspective, we were readying ourselves for quite a while now. Uh, the use of the SPAC is just a, a means by which you, you can go public, the SPAC, uh, transaction has some advantages to it. Uh, one is, of course, it it can uh, it has a, a sort of a, a much shorter time frame to go to market than the typical IPO. It's a bit cheaper. Uh, it allows you to use forward-looking projections uh, to establish value. And in our case, being a, a company that's been in business for almost 30 years now, especially in the auto business. We have a track record of, of revenue growth. We have a track record of profitability, which a lot of you know, companies that merge with SPACs might not have. Uh, and, and so uh, you know, we can use those projections with a high degree of confidence uh, because we have historical results and growth rates to, to support what we're thinking of going forward. I think the other part of the SPAC transaction that has an advantage is you, is you do get to pick the partner, right? There's a process that that's in place. Uh, we had uh, J.P. Morgan, a long-standing partner of ours, run a process whereby we looked at uh, a number of SPAC op, uh, SPAC sponsors and SPAC companies to choose from to partner with. And so we had selection criteria. We had we knew what our objectives were. We know we knew what synergies we wanted to gain. Uh, we knew the kind of partner we wanted to to, to actually have a relationship with. And. And that really does help. Uh, sometimes you don't get to choose in an IPO, right? In an IPO, it, the, the, the entirety of the public is investing in you. And here, you can actually partner with someone that brings synergies like capital markets experience, 
automotive lifestyle experience, networking within the automotive lifestyle, and and a good brand, you know, good brand. So so we're very happy with the selection of Aldell. Uh, we think they'll, they'll be a fantastic part partner, bring us a lot of synergies, which which we valued in the selection process. Can you talk a little bit more about that choice of Aldell? Just um, those synergies, specifically the automotive background, just a little more details there? Yeah, so, so uh, Rob Coffin, who's the CEO of Aldell and his board um, has, um, you know, has experience in the automotive area. They're car collectors and some of them are car collectors. Rob is a car collector. And so they understand the lifestyle. They understand what Haggerty brings to the lifestyle. So there's an ability to really have that community effect. Um, a lot of that is what Rob and team know, right? They understand that. So that's one of the synergies is they really have a, a great understanding and love and passion for the very same thing that we do, which is this sort of collector vehicle lifestyle. You mentioned in sort of discussing your reasons for, for going this route, a lot of the things that sort of people, when people look at SPACs, at least currently, they question, you know, sort of the, the projected, are, you know, is the company going to live up to all that stuff? And you, you guys, you look like you really thought this through um, really well. Was there any concern about the reputation of going through a SPAC as, as you considered it, or were you, was that not even something that you guys considered? Yeah, I think the reputation works both ways. So Haggerty as a brand is highly reputable in the space we work and live in um, because we're passionate about what we do. And you know, all of our employees um, have that same sort of ilk. We, you know, we like what we do. It's really kind of cool. Um, uh, so it has that coolness factor, right? <laughs> and they're, you're able to help them in something that they really like. And whether it's a claim or whether it's just helping them find a car or source a car or sell a car or whatever it is, find a part. You know, I mean, we have a parts finder uh, division. All they do is find parts for our members. So things like that is really, is really important to us. Brand brings a lot of it uh, to, to, the, to the table. You know, I think, I think when, I, um, when I look at what, it means relative to projections. It's really just executing on our playbook. We've got it all in place. We have the contracts in place. We just have to execute the playbook, run more of the plays that we're running. Uh, and so when I look to the future, it's really that, right? We're not changing the core of the company. We're not changing how we approach the company, uh, the business. We're simply changing its ownership. That's what's happening here. The ownership is different. Uh, but the company itself as an operating entity and what we do and how we plan, what we look for, how we project, all of that is the same as we've always done for a number of years. Um, as I think about the future, I mean, what you'll see is, you know, this, this opportunity to continue our digital transformation, be more digitized, be, be able to provide to our members in a digital way, a lot of the experiences uh, that are available to them. Um, Digital can also mean how we, uh, what value we bring, how we, what products and services and how they're integrated into a platform. Uh, you know, that's something that we're, we continue to work on. And, and, and I think the members will be happy uh, when we roll out those products and services, which are sort of ongoing. They'll be coming, you know, quarter to quarter um, uh, as, we, as we, finish, uh, we finish them. I want to ask a little bit about classic car values. Um, we see that they're up. Um, which is great. Can you talk about what's driving that? And is that going to last? Valuation 
is one of the linchpins of ownership. The buyer wants to know what it costs to buy something. The seller wants to get a good price. Um, and so valuation data is something that uh, we started investing in probably a dozen years ago. So when it comes to value, value is a linchpin because it establishes transaction value, it establishes insurance coverage value, and it absolutely establish, establishes exchange value. You know, what should I sell my car for knowing that I put in X amount of money? And, and, and we call it the J curve. Most cars, when you buy the car, the minute you come off the lot, the deal a lot, the joke is you lose 20% of that value immediately yeah. after you paid for a brand new car. That's absolutely true. It, it depreciates. We call it the J curve because as, after a certain amount of time in the insurance world, it's really kind of worthless until the car is has some provenance to it. It starts to become collectible. It's kind of cool, like a, you know, the M series, the BMW M series. Those in early, early 1990 cars, which in today's world are very popular. So as the Jake, as you see the value go up, that's where we engage. That's where we can start to provide valuation for the, uh, the buyer, the seller to the market. Let them know that what we're seeing across our ecosystem in terms of buying and selling and valuation guide, valuation team guidelines, they can actually see what that price will be. So most cars will depreciate and then within the collector car world, they become more collectible, therefore their value starts to, to increase. So in that classic car world, are things truly going up in like as a trend line? Yeah, we like, we like what we're seeing, uh, you know, the, the 2021 auctions that, uh, that have you know, effectively been completed for the year were, uh, were an in indicator, uh, sort of a benchmark, right? Which was more cars at more value were, uh, were sold. Um, well, more higher value cars were sold. Um, new, newer value car, newer cars, more, more modern collectible cars became more attractive and therefore were sold uh, a bit more. So we're, we think it's very healthy. It, it will always have sort of certain segments that maybe don't appreciate as much as others. What we're seeing is in the supercar, the modern supercar area, the prices are just, just really jacked up, really high. People are willing to pay for um, per, uh, cars that have low production, um, are very popular cars to younger people, and they're willing to pay in that million or million, million plus range. There are other cars sometimes that maybe lose their value. Um, not all of them, but you know, you might have a, an air, a, a period of time where the brass era cars, think of the, you know, the, the Model A's, the Model T's, you know, they're, they're older cars, they're fun, they're fantastic, people love them, but they're not as maybe exchanged as much, right? People treasure them, they hold them, they don't really sell them much. Well, if you don't have a sale, you don't have a market as much, you don't have price fluctuation, it becomes a little bit more stable. So it all depends on the kind of segment. And, and within our world, there's many, many segments of cars where you look at valuation and some of them are flat, some of them are, are up a bit, some of them are way up. Yeah. Uh, but overall, when we look at the market, the market has been um, trending upward very, very favorably. Do you think there's, are there any outside sort of influences driving that high trend of those spe that specific segment or is it just yeah, what we're seeing is uh, those that are collectors, um, you know, they're, they're reducing their inventory and buying better samples. So I might have 10 cars, but I really want to have really five really good ones. 
right? So I'm willing to maybe sell down my, my numbers and get finer examples of cars. And so that, that dynamic tends to play to, to price. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I'll sell, sell 10, I'll buy five. I might be able to, of the, of the sales, I might be able to buy one or two $1 million cars of mm -hmm. my five. So you see that dynamic within the collectors. Um, you also see a younger dynamic. A lot of younger people uh, are enthusiasts. So think of the, you know, the Gen X, think of the, uh, the millennial generation. They love cars and they're just getting to where they have a level of income where they can buy into, the, buy into it. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's no bigger generation than, than of course, um, you know, the, the, baby, the, the, the baby boomers, my, my generation. But, yeah. but what we're seeing is the second level is really that younger generation, that 25 to 40 year old generation is really interested in cars. They love cars. Now they, now they have a level of income that allows them to enter the market. So we're seeing that di dynamic play out as well. That's interesting. And I bet they have different favorites, um, you know, as, as they are sort of nostalgic about, I mean, I'm Gen X and I remember the cars that were going around when I was young. And when you're in high school. Yeah. Everyone's different. That's what's so cool about the business is every car matters to any car matters to someone. And so every car in our world matters. We, we are, we are sort of indifferent, right? We just want people to enjoy what they like. Doesn't matter if it's a gremlin. It doesn't matter if it's if it, if it's a McLaren. To them, there's something about it that's interesting. It might be their dad's car. Uh, we have clients that buy cars this, or look for the car their dad owned 35 years ago, and we've had these great stories. They're kind of tearjerkers, where for his birth, his birthday or mom's birthday, the car is presented to them. It's the same car that that's he had awesome. in high school. It is so cool, and that's that's the that gives you a sort of the essence of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of what we're in, this passion, this passion hobby. You do have a very sort of diversified um, portfolio of acquisitions. You guys have the events, um, your valuation tools, your, yeah. your regular classic um, insurance, all that stuff. So where do you see, um, if you can point to maybe one or two specific areas within that where you see sort of the most lift or drive coming for the future, where you're kind of looking to grow. When we think about insurance transactions, uh, the growth is omni-channel. So I mentioned the direct opportunities with the digitization platform uh, continue to improve that. Make it frictionless. You know, if you can make the transaction frictionless on the insurance side, you have more opportunity to talk to them about their car rather than the insurance coverage, right? Because uh, most of our people want to talk about their car. The insurance transaction is a compulsory thing. So I would say on the insurance side, uh, deepen our relationships with our agents and brokers. Do a better job of being digital. Engage more on the direct side, more events, right? We were at 2,500 events a year. That's a direct engagement play. So you'll see uh, a bit more deepening the uh, omni-channel distribution on the insurance side. Uh, we, we are segmenting our books. So we're looking at people that like hot rods, people who like very high-end cars, people who like um, supercars. And within those segments, people's needs and wants are different. So we, we provide uh, dedicated and customizations to these segments in terms of what that, that membership uh, offering looks like. We've seen a growing interest in sort of specialty insurers, specialty brokers, you look at M&A, it's up there. 
what are your thoughts on sort of a specialist kind of being maybe the wave of the future or, or, or the, the way to really serve clients um, in, a, in a full perspective? Just curious about sure. that because you guys are, sure. are really doing that well. I think specialty insurance companies um, historically uh, provide a product and, and a service that is differentiated. Uh, than the mainstream general sort of general liability kind of companies that do it all. Um, they become more of a boutique uh, op option versus a, I'll call it a department store option, right? And so we always thought that our, our best foot forward would be within that niche area. We do not cross sell homeowners. We don't cross sell standard auto, car, you know, standard cars. We do this one thing really well. And, we, and the market is large and the opportunities are great. And that's why we're here to service the members that love this, uh, that love it, are passionate about it. And so I think the niche, especially insurance companies in terms of a trend, it really will depend on the insurance, right? It, it, in our world, in the auto world, uh, collector vehicle world, it fits very nicely. Um, uh, so as a trend within auto, it's become one. Uh, it's getting bigger. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to have seen it a little bit, maybe a little bit earlier than others. I just wonder if, you know, like cyber, for example, would take a page from this. You know, you see a lot of these specialty cyber MGAs popping up. And is that comp, is that risk so complex that it requires this kind of specialization? So maybe you guys Yeah, are it's an interesting thought. It really is. I mean, I, You'll see it more in the insure tech world, right? The cyber piece of that. Um, cyber is, you know, one thing we always think about, you know, is, is uh, do you get the value right? Do you get the transaction right? Do you get them, get a member um, what they need and what they want? And do you protect their data, right? I mean, the, for security is, a, is, is in, in our world, is paramount. It comes down to one word, it's trust. Right at the end of the day, do our clients trust us to give them the products and services we have and to protect them, protect their data? Do the partners we have, the large national carriers and all the all the brokers and agents that we work with, over forty-five thousand in, in the U.S., do they trust us to take care of their client? And and that is that's the work. I mean, that's what we think and breathe that all the time. It only happens if they trust you. That was Fred Turcott, Chief Financial and Administrative Officer at Haggerty. Tune in to the rest of our podcasts at leadersedge.com or find them on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.